So please be seated. I think Father God is in heaven and he is smiling. I don't know about you, but what a beautiful sound and offering we have made to Father God this night. And thank you, uh, worship team, for leading us. But uh, Father God loves us to worship him because he is almighty God. He's the one that has good things in store for us. And it's lovely how through the years that he's gathered to us together at streams. And uh, each stream seems to be different from another. And it's good to be back home, isn't it, in this building. And it's good to welcome uh, today uh, Judy Moore. It's her first visit to streams. Uh, Judy is on the staff team at Riverside Church in Birmingham, which is a very lively uh, church, which is very much um, involved in their community. And uh, Judy has quite a background of, um, she's an actress, and you have been, I think, to many countries acting. And uh, it'd be good to hear a little bit of your story. So it's great that she's here tonight, particularly that she is here, because uh, last week I was working at uh, Lee Abbey. I was speaking on one of their house parties. And so I got back and I opened up my email this morning, and Judy sent an email to me late last night saying, Dear Anne, just like you to know that I've got laryngitis and I may not be at streams tomorrow and I was thinking oh no anyway we did talk at lunchtime and I really praise God that you're here because I think you've got some really good nuggets to bring to us so Judy please come forward and uh, let's welcome Judy it's, it's fantastic to have you we'll just get you this You've got Catherine's one with ribbons. Now, oh, are you a pink person? Because well, I can is that be, all right? yes. <laughs> Let's just <laughs> take Catherine's. There we go. Well, I am really thrilled to be with you. And if only a bit lower than I normally speak, is that all right? Um, I quite like it, actually. It's quite sort of Mariella Fostrop, isn't it? Those of you who know. But uh, do keep praying that it lasts, because um, as Anne said, I really couldn't speak at all, which has never happened to me before. And I've been on vocal rest, which I'm really bad at. Is anyone else really, really bad at vocal rest? But I have been trying to save up what I've got left uh, for you lovely ladies tonight. Um, we're looking tonight at being an overcomer. And uh, just as we were praying, I thought, well, isn't that ironic, really, that I probably rarely felt so vulnerable, uh, not having much voice. And then I just read, you probably can't see it, but just there it says, he that overcomes will be a pillar in the temple of my God. And just as I was praying, I read that. And I thought, well, how apt is that? And God goes ahead. And I can just agree with Ruth that the toilets are quite magnificent. <laughs> just to, you know, you must visit. They're hopefully not during this talk, but they are, they are splendid. Uh, so what does it mean then to be an overcomer? Well, we have some wonderful biblical examples of overcoming. And for me, Paul is a phenomenal example of somebody who overcomes. There's pretty much nothing that we could address to the Apostle Paul that he hasn't really been through in some shape or form. Isn't that right? You know, he goes through shipwreck. He goes through real deep rejection on a personal level. He goes through all sorts of things, and we still don't really know what the thorn in his side is that he refers to that he's also had to overcome. But there's no doubt in Romans, in 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, there is absolutely no doubt that he is a man who has learnt the art of living freely and lightly. He's a man who's learnt the art of actually not letting his circumstances be over him, but living over his circumstances. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a woman like that, don't you? 
that actually we live above our circumstances. Our circumstances are really tough, aren't they? And you've come tonight with all sorts of circumstances that are brutally hard, I'm sure. But actually, we have a God who says that he is able. And we have a God who says that his resurrection power is living in us. And that what he did with Jesus in overcoming death, he can do in our minds, in our relationships, in our hearts, in our health, and in our lives as a whole. And we're going to look at different ways that we can be overcomers tonight, just in this half an hour or so that we spend together. One of the things I love about the Bible is it's a book of heroic failures, isn't it? Anyone ever failed at anything? Oh, good, good. Oh, I'm in good company. Sometimes I'm the only one there, and that's embarrassing. Um, but actually, we fail, don't we, sometimes spectacularly. I know there have been some failures in my life uh, on all sorts of levels. Uh, but there's one funny failure. Am I allowed to talk to you about that? Um, I used to teach in Nottingham. I was a trainee teacher. I was in my first year of teaching drama, theatre, and education and English. And uh, I had a group of uh, year seven students who were gorgeous. They were really gorgeous, but they were quite mixed ability. And I'd been told that actually, on the whole, the level was pretty, you know, there were a lot of people with special learning difficulties within the group. And I needed to really be careful how I explained things. And I, I was doing a drama lesson. I'd got to know the group over the last three weeks, and I really liked them. I trusted them. And so I came to them with this idea, and I said, look, year seven, we are going to go on the most amazing journey. And the good news is that we don't know where on earth in the world we're flying. We've just got to turn up at the airport. We've been given a million pounds between us, and we've got to pack. And it's the night before a millionaire has involved us in this experiment. And we don't know if it's going to be hot, if it's going to be cold, what the language is going to be, what the currency is going to be. But you, year seven, have been chosen by this millionaire for this project. And they looked about as excited as you do. They looked totally bewildered. And, uh, but I was young, I was new. And uh, I said, and you're the guinea pigs in this experiment. You are the guinea pigs in this experiment. And if we make it work, who knows? Other people might benefit. So we've got to be flexible. We've got to be adaptable. Who knows what they're going to pack in their little bag? The girls are more excited about that than the boys. And um, I said, so off you go in pairs. Talk about how will you pack? What on earth will you do? You don't know what the adventure is going to be like. Off you go. And they just looked at me looking like, this is the most rubbish lesson anyone has ever come up with. But anyway, then I said, come on, what are you waiting for? And I was being appraised by my tutor on this particular occasion, which I was trying to get all the bells and whistles out for. But anyway, um, he was laughing to himself, seeing the pit I was digging for myself. But off they went, and they talked in groups, and uh, there was some real silliness going on. There were some people on all fours. There were some silly squeaking noises. There were all sorts of ridiculous things going on. And in the end, I said, OK, year seven, this is so disappointing, particularly as we have a lovely visitor. We're going to have to call everyone back together. And I said, quite frankly, I'm shocked because I, I really trusted you as a group. And there's been real silliness, real silliness. And literally, there are people on the floor. And uh, so I called everyone back together. And, I, and then this lovely girl called Naomi Brooks put her hand up. She said, Miss Moore, can I just say, we don't even know how guinea pigs speak, let alone what they take away on holiday with them. <laughs> They've been trying to be guinea pigs to the very best of their ability, packing to go on a millionaire holiday. They've been squeaking, their noses have been twitching. And when I, when I looked back at what they've been doing, bless them, they had tried so hard to be guinea pigs packing. I wish I could have filmed it. My tutor was crying, literally crying with laughter. Um, but I tell that story, I don't come out of it very well. But what was lovely 
was they did forgive me. And I said, I couldn't stop laughing myself. I said, year seven, I'm so sorry for getting upset with you because this was all my fault. I didn't think about what I was saying and you were trying so hard. But what I would say is that as I went on, I taught that group for many years. I was with them for six years. And that was always my most precious relationship with a class. They often ribbed me about it, as you can imagine. I'd get the odd squeak in the corridor or the odd little <laughs> nose. But how brilliant. But out of failure, and it was pretty visible and pretty spectacular, but not only did they get an adult to apologise, which is always good, um, but actually we, we built something out of that that was really, really precious. And God is like that. As we're looking tonight at a pattern which you will see through Scripture of reveal, reverse, restore. And when God reveals something to you, and many of you have had promises revealed to you over time, maybe some many years ago, dreams that you've had, perhaps actual dreams that you've had in the night, or maybe just a dream of the heart, but you have had revelations, and you've had promises, maybe for a prodigal in the family to come back, uh, maybe for something else, maybe for a calling on your life, I don't know, but you know, don't you? the promises you believe you've received. And as the days and weeks and months and maybe even years go on, we start to think, are we impending? Have you ever felt that? You know, when you get the pending tray and thinking, well, how far down in God's pending tray actually am I? Because I seem to keep going to the bottom. Well, this particular revelation, this particular prayer, this particular thing that God has said he will do is not quite coming to pass. And Paul, in Romans 8, looks at this whole aspect of our dreams, of our freedom, and of the battles of the mind that we face when things go wrong. He says that actually our past will not, cannot, does not define who we are. Is anyone glad of that? I am so glad about that. My past is really laced with some pretty big mistakes, particularly early on. But I know that every one of those mistakes that I can name and think of is being and has been redeemed in some way by God. I'm a pastor now. I'm thrilled to be doing it. And I find that some of the mistakes that I made, whether that was me doing them or things done to me, are hugely, hugely important to the kingdom because they can be used for his glory. And so Paul says that we actually are overcomers. He says that actually we have a past that is under Jesus' blood. And he begins in Romans 8 by saying that actually we are under the blood and freedom of Jesus Christ. And he says that actually we are those who can overcome in body, mind, and in spirit. We're those that actually have a, a breakthrough of the mind, which we'll look at, a breakthrough physically in that we overcome death, and a breakthrough in emotions and in relationships. And Paul knows this because he has been transformed by the renewing of his mind, hasn't he? If you look at who Saul was, which is the same guy, if you look at who Saul was, he was outspoken, passionate, opinionated, adaptable, a brilliant, passionate communicator. And then let's think about who Paul was. He was outspoken, passionate. He was all of the same. His personality didn't change. It was his character that changed. Isn't that interesting? Because people come to me and they say, oh, Judy, I became a Christian. My whole personality changed. And you think, well, did God make a mistake first time round then? Because actually, he has wired us in a way that is profoundly beautiful 
and that actually he's wired us for a purpose for his glory. So what Paul knew was that actually his personality remained, but his character was being transformed. His mind and his attitude, a beautiful attitude like Jesus's, was being transformed and was being changed within him. And he experienced breakthrough of the mind. He knew how to do it, and he tells us how to do it. He learns to take every thought captive. We hear in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. He says, learn to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ so that his Holy Spirit is controlling our thinking. Who has battles late night of the mind, late at night? It, it is interesting, isn't it? You know, the Bible says the enemy prowls like a lion at night, and it is true, we're more vulnerable, most of us, and susceptible. But actually, try this, it works. Actually, to be an overcomer in the mind, we need the truth of this verse. That actually, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. I call it thought catching. You might have a word for it. But I know as an actress, I know particularly in my early years of performance, that I would get one line wrong or bump into one piece of furniture or whatever it was and lie awake all night, mentally beating myself up about it. Actually thinking, and even as a Christian, thinking that that was something called conviction. I'm a failure, I'm not very good, why, do, why am I doing this? That is not right, okay? The conviction, if you lie awake at night and the words you are hearing say, you are rubbish, you're no good, you get it wrong every time, that is not the work of the Holy Spirit, is it? Because that, the conviction happens for good. Condemnation, which is what Paul's talking about here in Romans 8, happens when we trash this beautiful treasure that you and I are. And we are. We're beautiful, incredible treasures. But if your thoughts start to lead to death, and this is what Paul's saying in Romans 8, he says there are thoughts that lead to death and there are thoughts that lead to life. Train your mind then towards thoughts that lead to life. And it works. It absolutely categorically works. Not every single day of the week. I'm still learning. I'm sure you are. But actually, let's promise each other and promise God tonight that we will train our minds towards thoughts that lead to life. There's a great film called The Beautiful Mind that Russell Crowe is in. How many people have seen it? It's stunning, isn't it? A really stunning film. And in that, you hear about John Nash, this brilliant guy who's tormented by this incredible mental health problem where he believes that people are real, that aren't, and he's tortured. But his recovery, interestingly, comes when he learns. There's a beautiful bit at the end where he says, I have learned to train my mind towards thoughts that lead me to life. Almost could be straight out of Paul's scripture. Isn't that amazing? That actually, he says, the, the, the thoughts and the lies that lead him towards death, he learns to train his mind towards life. So if you have a thought that trashes you or trashes another human being, that is condemnatory thinking, not conviction. Conviction comes when the Holy Spirit does an amazing work in you and I that actually says, I want you to overcome this sin and I'm going to help you with it. Does that make sense? So actually, we can be overcomers in our mind. There's a great book, which I would recommend, uh, by Joyce Meyer called The Battlefield of the Mind. I'm sure many of you have read it, but if you haven't, it is absolutely superb about reclaiming the territory of our minds, overcoming these, these negative thoughts. And, and actually, it is a sin 
to trash your own treasure, isn't it? We forget that sometimes. It was quite a, a big lesson for me to learn early on that Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, and that a part of the requirement of that was for me to actually really like who I am. And I can safely say that I do, not every day, but most days now, really enjoy being Judy and have accepted that he's made me uh, very unique. And I just wanted to read just a little uh, scripture that she says it's really important that we learn, and I would agree with that. I call heaven and earth to witness this day against you that I have set before you life and death, the blessings and the curses, but therefore choose life. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live. And there used to be a, a, a sticker, didn't there? Choose life, but way back when Alpha was starting out, that actually our thoughts will choose life. The second thing that we can overcome in and that Paul is very clear on, both in Romans and in Corinthians, is that our relationships can be healed. Who here has had a relationship in some way restored over the last few years? Okay. Quite a few of us, yeah, a few more. So we've had relationships healed. Who is waiting for a relationship to be healed? Okay, again, quite a few of us. Some of us perhaps impending in that place of waiting. But God is able to restore, and he's able to do a miraculous work in us of forgiveness. But one of my favorite roles I ever played was uh, Corrie ten Boom. Uh, I probably played her more than almost any other character I've played in my life uh, in a production of The Hiding Place, both here and quite a bit overseas. And uh, I've, in prisons uh, all across South Africa and different places, played the scene where Corrie comes face to face. If you know about Corrie Ten Boom, she hid Jews in the Second World War. Uh, she and her family risked their own lives on a daily basis for that because they said that Christ's word was that they shouldn't turn anyone away. And uh, they did that and then uh, got put into Ravensbrück concentration camp where she saw her own sister beaten so badly that she later died. Her own father died in prison. And there, years later, she's in Germany preaching on forgiveness. And suddenly she comes face to face with one of the cruelest officers that she had experienced in the Nazi camp in Ravensbrück. She comes face to face with him and he says, can you forgive me just in a generic way for all that my people did, for all that, that the officers did, not realizing that she knows his face, that she remembers him hitting her sister. And she's filled with the most immense hatred. And I used to really enjoy playing that bit. I used to really enjoy, I used to picture people. And particularly at that time in my life, there was something very key I needed to forgive. And every night it was like God said, and again, Judy, and again, you can't play this role without actually doing it. And the, the officer comes and he says, will you forgive me, Fräulein? And there's this moment where you're standing there and she rents, she absolutely vents out to God, no, I cannot forgive him. She says, I cannot do this. And she has this lovely moment. And then she says, I can only raise my hand. You do the rest, Jesus. You do the rest. And she literally, in the most stiff and starchy way, starts to reach out her hand. And this work of overcoming begins in her heart. And suddenly, as she touches the guy, not only does she just shake hands, but she leans into him. She's a tiny woman, so it's great for me to play. And she leans into him, and there's an embrace, and they both start to cry. 
And every night, and I've done that in front of murderers in Portsmouth Prison in South Africa. I've done that uh, in front of, I've actually acted it with a guy who hurt me very, very deeply and actually had to hug him every night for a tour <laughs> without kneeing him in the groin or anything like that. It was amazing. I know. Imagine people saying, I'm sure Corrie never did that. Um, <laughs> can we not have that on the tape? Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, but that has been an incredible journey for me. And I know, again, that this is true, that God is able to give us something that in human terms we never could. Because there's things that happen to you and I that are unspeakable. And actually, in human terms, you know, it is wrong what happened to you. Sometimes I think we need to say that in teaching, don't we? It doesn't make it right when you forgive somebody. Does that make sense? So if somebody did something that all of us here would agree is horrific, it is horrific, but God is able to help you let it go and it not bury you, but actually for you to be free. And maybe when we have the prayer time, that's something that you would like to say, actually, would someone just sit with me and say, I can't forgive this person, but actually, God, you can help me to do it. So we can be overcomers in our relationships. We can be overcomers in our mind. We have the resurrection power of Jesus living in us. Now, I don't know whether you've ever questioned that verse, but I have. I just think, how does that work? How does it work that I'm walking around with this resurrection power in me? And my favorite story, if I'm allowed to, some of you might have heard this story before because it is my favorite story from uh, 10 years on the road traveling around uh, acting and speaking, um, was when the, my mum died really, really suddenly. And um, like many performers, I went back to work far too soon, thinking that was the right thing to do. Didn't really give myself a chance to grieve and uh, carried on. I was playing um, David Wilkerson's wife in a production of uh, The Cross and the Switchblade. She was a very glowing and very uh, godly woman, far more godly than I am. Um, but I was playing her for all that, all I could and uh, was privileged to, to meet her and her husband. And uh, I was playing her and went back really, really desperately grieving for my mum and also really bewildered because I'd spent five years testifying that she'd been healed of cancer. I'd gone around saying, God is able to do this, and then she died in an operation from a mistake. So how do you weigh those things up? In human terms, we can't. There's mystery. And do you know the lovely thing about mystery? The Celtics actually worship God because of mystery. What you and I do is we don't know as evangelical Christians what to do with it, so we put it in an embarrassed box somewhere behind us, don't we? We're not quite sure. But I'm learning that mystery is okay. It's all right to live with mystery. Just take it to God and keep worshiping, saying, God, you're way bigger than me. I don't understand, but I had five more years with my mum. Praise God. And I know where she is, and I know what God did in those five years in her life. And do you know a beautiful thing? Philip Yancey's book, um, which uh, was Reaching for an Invisible God, was the book that finally convinced my mum to become a Christian. And I've spent seven years touring the countries and the world with Philip Yancey. And I was able to meet him and portray Corrie in What's So Amazing About Grace for the stage with him. Isn't that incredible that God would not only use him, but get me to meet him and get him to be my friend? <laughs> I just think that's amazing. Anyway, I'm off track. Uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm in this terrible place. I am really good, and some of you here, Jane, Jana, know me. I'm very good at pity parties. Every now and then, I can have one. Anyone else good at them? Elijah was brilliant, wasn't he? 
So I can have the best pity party. You'll never know because you're not invited. They happen on my own. But are yours good? Yeah, so we have those. Uh, just me, absolutely ranting with God, fed up. Everything goes wrong for me. Everything goes right for everybody else. So I was having one of those. I'd done a show. I didn't think it was particularly good. I'd been Gwen Wilkinson. I didn't even like her that night particularly. I thought she was a bit too, too good to be true. And I was in a sulk. So I said, God, I really need a good host tonight. We had different hosts on this tour every night. I said, I need the most beautiful host. I need someone who comes in and says, Judy, we're going to have a bath running. There'll be wine on the side. There'll be candles around the bath. You'll have your own ensuite. And uh, I just want to care for you. I want to mother you. I want to look after you. And I said, God, you know that's what I need tonight. I'm on the edge here. And you know that's what I need. And I can just imagine God sort of smiling and thinking, okay, Judy, we'll see how that goes for you. Anyway, we're all waiting, and it's a bit like waiting to be picked at the end, of, you know, at the, back in the netball team or something. You're all waiting like this. I've got my bag, thinking, where's my dream host? Chanel, the number five, you know, wafting through. And uh, a motorbike comes up, a lady with tattoos and piercings and a shaved head. <laughs> I kid you not, jumps in, says, where's Judy, like this, at which point I'm down like this, <laughs> and they said, oh, this is Judy, and I said, oh, hi, um, and she said, oh, I've come on the motorbike with a mate, I don't know how we're going to get you back to mine, <laughs> so, I mean, I love motorbikes, but probably not at this point in the, in the uh, proceedings, so I had to have the hire car, which I'd driven once before, which was an automatic uh, I was in a proper strop at this stage. I barely spoke to the woman. I don't think I was rude, but I was probably bordering on it. Um, and uh, we got to her, her flat. Um, it wasn't very clean. She'd done a little room for me that looked like she'd just taken the kids out and hadn't really cleaned up very much. Um, and I just thought, okay, that's it. You know, I'm at the end of myself. Uh, so she said, I'll give you time to settle in. She said, I'll go and put the kettle on. And I, I just sat there, texted my boyfriend at the time, and I said, this is it for me. I'm, I'm absolutely, <laughs> my dream host has not appeared. Everything has gone terribly wrong. And um, I just thought to myself, you know, I didn't think, what would Jesus do? I thought, what would my mum do? <laughs> and I thought, she would say, get yourself down there, girl. Have some manners. This woman has opened up her house to you, etc." So it wasn't a very spiritual awakening. I just stroppily went downstairs and said, oh, sorry, it's a bit quiet in the car. You know, I'm not really used to that vehicle and struggling a bit to be away from home at the moment. And uh, she said, oh, don't worry. I'm terribly nervous. I'm incredibly nervous, Judy. I'm really nervous myself. I've never hosted anyone like you before. I don't know what to say to you. I'm a brand new Christian. And to be honest with you, I'm only just getting the hang of this because for most of my life, I've been a witch and worshipped Satan. <laughs> Seriously, those were her exact words. And I don't know if you remember Jeremy Beadle. I don't think he's with us anymore, but I thought he would walk in at that point and say, no, this isn't actually happening to you. So I just thought, what on earth? And I just got this terrible panic of thinking, oh, my word. I mean, is she saved? What, what is going on here? Well, anyway, she said, I just want to tell you, Judy, that this incredible story. And she told me her testimony. We had this cup of tea together. And she said while she was a witch, her husband used to abuse her, used to regularly beat her. And on one occasion, she had had enough. She hit out at him with a knife and stabbed him. He was, the children were taken away. She thought she would lose everything. She was absolutely hysterical. And unbeknown to her, some women who used to see her at the school gate, who were Christians, three of them used to pray for her. They used to meet every week and they used to pray for her because they saw that she was a really good mum. And they saw something in her. Have you ever seen something, the light of God in someone and just thought, when you're all lit up with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be one amazing creation for God. 
And uh, they prayed for her. And when this happened, her kids were taken away. The court case came. It was all hideous. She said, I found myself literally compelled towards the doors of one of these people's homes. And she said, I just knocked on the door. She had a phone, but I didn't know why I was doing it. And she just said, I think you have something to help me. I am desperate. This woman took her in. She got her husband. They prayed with her. She said, I've worshipped the devil and it hasn't worked for me. Cried her eyes out and they said, well, we know a God who is able. We know a God who can actually change your whole life around if you'll let him. They prayed with her. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. They actually had some quite, I think, some quite interesting ministry times. She didn't go into it, but I'm sure they did have an interesting time of, of letting go of her past. But as a brand new Christian, she contained the resurrection power of Jesus. I believe that. She was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and she went out from there. But she tried church a few times, and guess what? Church wasn't very loving towards her. They were a bit like Judy, all stuck up waiting for Mrs. Chanel number five to arrive, and didn't quite really relate to the lady with the shaved head and the studs and the tattoos. So she said, it was really hard for me. So hard, in fact, that she said, after trying church four times, or five times, I can't remember, she said, I went back to the satanic movement one more time, because that's where her friends were. There's all sorts of warnings across this, aren't there? Quite my favorite story. But she went back, walked in, and I have no idea what goes on, I don't really want to know, but she walked into one of these meetings. She was late, she was known by people, but as she walked in, the guy who was leading it started to physically cower away from the back. So literally retreat from the back and then said, get out of here, please get out of here. And she was looking, thinking, who on earth is it? And then she realized it was her. It was her. And he said, please, would you leave? There's a power in you that is terrifying. And she had to go. And she walked out of there knowing that as a five or six week old Christian, there was a power in her that was stronger than anything she had ever experienced in that place because actually Jesus has overcome death and he has overcome the devil in the meantime. And the devil is, we fight from victory, ladies, not for victory. That's a really important lesson. And that's what she learned, that actually she had a victory living in her, the victorious Holy Spirit. And she now goes around on her bike. She's written a book. Uh, she's absolutely incredibly in love with Jesus. And every year, I think, God is transforming her and using her more and more in Peterborough and the surrounding areas. But the miracle for me was actually, what did I need that night? I had my pity party. I thought to overcome my situation, I needed candles, I needed nice words, I needed all my, I'm a very sensory person. I thought I needed all my comforts. But God said, no, Judy, what you need to hear tonight is about my resurrection power that is able to help you to be an overcomer. Amen? Isn't that incredible? So in all my baggage, in all the stuff with my mom, with all sorts of things that were going on, he said, I want you to know that there's a power that is in you that makes the enemy cower. And there's a power tonight that makes the enemy cower in you. And I'm not one, as people will tell you, for giving the enemy too much credit. I believe that we do fight from victory. I used to think, because I was a drama student, that the enemy was here, God was here, and that we were doing this in the middle. Did anyone else do those weird drama exercises? And you had one voice, and you went, no, it's clearly just in Surbiton. No one else did. Okay, you're on your own. Well, anyway, we did them. And you're in the middle, and there's a bad voice here saying, take drugs or whatever. And then there's a good voice here, don't do it. You know, have you seen those? And it's like this. 
And that's how we play it. It's played in Greek tragedy like that. It's very much like that. But God says, no, that's not how it is. There is God, there is you, and there is the enemy. And he is under you. He is under you. And even if you're a baby Christian tonight, even if you just started loving him, just started knowing his name, there is a power in you. I've had a gun pulled out on me uh, in my early days in teaching where I used the name of Jesus because it was the only weapon I had. It was the only name I knew that would work. And all I can say is this, that that guy just literally, it was like a dart had gone into him, like a dart of the Holy Spirit, but he just simply put the gun down under his desk. I said, sit down, there's five foot two of me and a lot more of him. Put the gun down, sit down, we're going to read poetry. And that's what we did. No, seriously, for 35 minutes, we read poetry with a gun under the table. I, I, you couldn't make it up because I was so new and so nervous. I didn't call a duty deputy because I thought we'd just get the gun again. So I just prayed in tongues under my breath and just kept saying, Jesus, 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 over and over again. And I know that works. I know it does. So try it if you haven't already. And maybe I'm teaching my grandmother to suck eggs. But honestly, the power in the name of Jesus is an incredible thing. And we can all remember that, can't we? That actually, in being an overcomer, in overcoming the resistance that we feel towards loving ourselves, actually tonight, you might want to pray with someone about that, but actually you overcome the innate dislike that somehow you've had for yourself. It might be that you overcome a, a relationship that is just really hurting you at the moment, and you want to lay that down and get some prayer. I want to finish by just saying a story that means an awful lot to me, and I think mirrors much of scripture, is the story of Rahab. And uh, Rahab was a prostitute. Uh, she was somebody who was a very unlikely hero again, uh, an unlikely hero of scripture. And yet she was the one who Joshua was able, his spies were able to go out and hide in her home. And she saw something about, a bit like this lady in Peterborough, she saw something about the people of God, didn't she, that actually made her think, you can trust these people. It was a bit like my friend suddenly propelled towards the door. And she, she not only offered the spies hospitality in her home, but actually they said, we're going to come back and actually you and your household will be saved if you hang a scarlet cord outside of your house to say that you are trusting in God, that you're actually trusting in our word on behalf of God that you and your people will be saved. And I don't know about you, I have a rope of hope. Uh, I've had a few over the years and uh, we, we're going to actually use them in ministry a little bit later. But she actually held on to a promise. And even when that promise was impending, even when she didn't know whether her household would stand, even when everything around her physically was falling down, she still kept that cord outside of her home. And I think as women of God tonight, amazing things can happen when we say, as for me and my household, I put my trust as an overcomer in Christ in the living God, and I say, I believe for restoration in my situation. We don't know what that restoration will look like. Isn't that interesting? I've prayed for things. I've prayed for all sorts of things to be restored the way I thought they would be. Rarely has that happened in the formula of Judy Moore. It's amazing. God doesn't need my formulas, apparently. Um, 
but what he does is something far, far more spectacular. He's doing that in my life at the moment in an amazing way, which I haven't got time to say much more about. But I would just say, remember, reveal. God reveals his promises and they are good. His promises for your life are good. That doesn't mean we won't have suffering. If ever there was an example of that, we have it in Paul, as he said at the beginning. But actually, suffering is part of the deal. Someone once said, suffering will colour your life, but you get to choose what the colour is. Suffering will colour your life, but you get to choose what the colour is. I like that. love colour. You would guess tonight. <laughs> Sometimes I'm quite colourful. Um, but actually, we get to choose. John Maxwell says, we cannot control what happens to us, but we can control what happens in us. That's true in God because of this re resurrection power. And actually, when Paul was in prison, in Acts 16, another of my favorite passages in the Bible, he could have had a massive pity party. He could have rivaled one of mine because he gets thrown in for no fault of his own with Silas into the inner cell, the place of no escape. They've chained to the floor even for evangelizing in the square and for reaching out to a woman and they are arrested and thrown into prison. And what do they do? They praise God and sing. They praise God with hymns of gladness. Not quite like the pity parties I put on. But he knew, Paul knew as an overcomer, the power of praise. That there's a power of praise. So whether it's using Jesus' name as I did, or whether you're in a situation of trial and you just drive to work with the worship music on, you will start to live above that circumstance that you've been living under. And I don't know, I have got a monologue prepared, but I don't know how I'm doing vocally. How are we doing for time? It's five minutes. Shall we give it a go? Can you hear me? I'm amazed, actually. That is prayer, because I couldn't speak, <laughs> which is the answer to many people's prayers at work. <laughs> so this is a monologue and it's called Morning and uh, it's Mary and uh, Mary was uh, one of the followers of Jesus and uh, she thinks all her dreams are lying broken and in tatters when Jesus has died she thought his promises were true and you and I have done that we've sat at home or we've sat uh, crying to God thinking all that I believed in is in rubble around me a bit like Rahab looking at the rubble around, but trusting in him. And Mary has, has had a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus, and has seen him die. It was early, very early. Couldn't have been later than about six o'clock. Of course, I do normally get up early on a Sunday, but I mean, even for me, it was a bit much. It was Mary's idea. Mary Magdalene. She was waiting for me on the corner of my street. They were all waiting for me. I, I was running a bit late. Well, I grabbed a banana and a slice of toast and a cup of coffee. <laughs> well, you never know, do you? <laughs> we walked towards the garden, the three of us, Mary Magdalene, Salome, and me. Then, as we approached the garden, one by one, each of us froze to the very spot. Mary Magdalene grabbed hold of my arm. She whispered, it's been moved to one side. I walked 
very slowly, out of the warmth and light of the garden, into the cold and the dark of the tomb. I stood just inside the tomb, and then I don't mind telling you, I screamed. I screamed. There was a figure, all dressed in white. He looked directly at me, and he smiled. Don't you be afraid, Mary. I know who it is that you're looking for. I said, yes, yes, I am looking for someone. I'm looking for Jesus, Jesus the Nazarene. Said, Mary, he was here. But now he's gone. Well, I mean, I had to ask, didn't I? Where is it he's gone? He is risen, Mary, he told me. He is risen. Now you go and tell your friends out there that he's alive. You will see him again in Galilee. Well, I tell you, it took us twice as long to get home. I mean, not one of us could stop our legs from shaking. You see, we were there three days earlier. We were there when they hung him on that cross, when they drove nails through his hands, pierced them down into his feet. I thought my dreams were dead. Everything he'd said seemed to be a lie. How could he overcome death for me, hanging limp on a cross? But you see, our Jesus, he told me the truth. He said he'd be back, and I started to doubt, but he is. He's back. He's back. He has defeated death for me. And I'll tell you something, while there's breath in me, I will spend the rest of my days telling everyone that my friend Jesus is alive. Praise God. Thank you so much, Judy. Amazing. Thank you.